Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Do you ever have one of those weeks where you kind of needed to be in church? Anybody else feel like that? that was, that's uh, been kind of my heart this week. Um, I, I want to I ask you, too, if you wouldn't mind, just on a personal level, pray for my daughter, Emily. She's our youngest. She's Kim's favorite. And um, she's not really, but she's an amazing girl. But uh, she's, we got a call this morning, and she had labor pains all night last night. And she's getting ready to have a baby, and it's going to be our sixth little grandbaby. And, uh, yeah, little Rudy. And, um, and I'm saying little because if you've ever met uh, Emily's husband, they're both, they're both kind of in the Joey and Jenna uh, range of stature. Is that okay to say that, Joey, together? I think you're stronger than Ryan, so just want you to know that. But both, both kind of in that range. So Rudy's, Rudy's going to be a point guard. He's not going to be a center. So we're just going to say that. And a golfer probably, right? So um, we had, Kim said to me this morning, we were getting ready for church. I think we need to, get, I think we need to go today. I said, okay. I said, well, when we come home from church, you know, you can pack. She, and she said, and she opened her door up and she said, the bags are ready. So we're going today if we need to. So, but if we need to, we will. And if not, we're just going to wait until the time is right for us to do that. But we sure appreciate your prayers. And if you're friends with my wife on Facebook, let me just say this, you will know when it happens. Because there will be several hundred pictures on there. I'm very, very sure of that. So hey, if you brought a Bible with you to church, let me see your Bible. Wave it up in the air. If you have a Bible with you, and you can show me your phone if you have a phone that you look at your Bible on, not throwing hate anybody's way. Um, and if you don't have a Bible and need one, ask me. I'll get you a Bible this week. I'd love to. Um, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter number 18, as we conclude our series called Stronger Today. Uh, I've, I've, it's been a, it's been, I think it's been a good series for our church. I've really enjoyed the study myself as well. But today we're going to talk about what I believe, and I mentioned this a little bit when we were taking communion this morning. Uh, today I want to talk about one of the hardest things that God expects us to do as his children. And really, you have to really be stronger in order to do this. Uh, there are things that God asks of us that we, it's kind of funny, um, that seem harder to us maybe than it should be. You know, and I'm, I'm not talking about giving today, but it's amazing how, how much focus that people believe the, the church puts on that when the fact of the matter is God speaking to us individually about it wants us to understand, if you do this and obey me, it's this big principle that's in the Bible all the way back from the book of Genesis. If you obey me, I'm going to what? I'm going to bless you. <coughs> if you disobey me, then I can't bless you to the full extent of the blessings that I want to give in your lives. And it's hard because, you know, that, that thing about giving is such a... And then when we hear somebody else talk about it, like if I talk about it, if you've been in another church or watched anything on TV with, with ministries or this or that, when you hear somebody talk about it, sometimes you get a little bit of that feeling of, oh, that's the only reason why they want us here, they want our money. No, I want God to bless you. I love what Kelsey said during the offering talk this morning, that we don't ask you to do that for our benefit. We encourage you to do that for your benefit because God wants to bless this church, and he does that through who? He does that through us. And we look at that sometimes if somebody were to ask you, what are, the hardest, what are some of the hardest disciplines of, of being a committed believer, right? Some, 
people may say giving is a hard thing. Or maybe even serving, right? Serving would require maybe 30 minutes to maybe an extra hour of your week of doing something for the church or something like that, or doing something for a neighbor, or taking your greatest resources. My friend Dave likes to tell me all the time, your greatest resource is your time, right? If, you, if somebody expects you to invest your time, that could be a pretty big ask of you, right? When I think, and, and this is just, and you, and you can have different feelings of this. This is not a demonstrative statement of saying this is the hardest thing. But in my opinion, I think people struggle with this more than just about anything else in, in, in what God requires us to do in that uh, stronger people learn and understand how to forgive, Forgiveness is hard. It's hard. Uh, if you've ever had anybody uh, offend you in a way that you couldn't even talk about it publicly, right? I remember watching when we were all glued to the TVs, the attacks on the United States back in 2001, and one of the moms or wives got, was on the Today Show. I can't give you time and date and all that, but it was, it just, I just remember this very specifically because I was watching it at night when we were living in the Philippines as missionaries, and this mom said, I don't know who did it, I don't know why they did it, but I want them to know that I forgive them. And it was like a thunderbolt that hit the people that were interviewing her. Well, how can you say that? She said, because I'm not going to live with this offense the rest of my life. Right? And unfortunately, one of the things that hinders us from, from experiencing breakthrough from experiencing full, the fullness of God in our lives is the fact that we're holding on to something that somebody had done to us. And I'm not devaluing it. I've had some pretty cruddy things happen to me in my life growing up. You know, we had some abuse things that, that happened. I had some abuse things that happened to me when I was a boy from the time that I was four to six years old. And it was a family member. And when God confronted me with forgiving that person because he wanted me to grow, that was hard to do. I had to talk to somebody, and I had to pray about it, and I had to understand it, and I had to, and I kind of, I don't know if you ever, if you've ever wrestled with God like Jacob does. If you, if, you, if you have, you know what I'm talking about. Wrestling with God, here's what it means. When God's telling you to do something, and you know that he is, but you're kind of bartering or negotiating with him. You, you know what I'm saying? I was wrestling with God. Jacob wrestled with God so much so in, in, in the middle of the night that day when, when, when the angel of the Lord, who was Jesus in the flesh in the Old Testament, we'll talk about that another time, another place, but he was wrestling with God so much so that he grabbed onto him and said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me, right? And I can remember talking to the Lord, I want you to bless me, but this is too much to ask of me. It was almost like the Lord said, well, why don't you do it and then tell me later that I was wrong? And I did it. And I came back to the Lord, and I said, you are right, I was wrong. Which seems to be a lot, I, I say very often in my prayers. Can anybody else relate to that? Lord, I'm sorry, you were right. You know, you showed me this. I should have been listening to you better. I don't know too many of us that stood before the Lord in our prayers that said, I just got to tell you, I know you're perfect, and I know you're God, but you were wrong. I just don't think that that happens. If we're right with God, of course, Okay. This passage of scripture is fascinating, and I was, I was, as I was studying it this week, um, you, some of you that have been part of churches for a long time or been saved for a long time, you may or may not have heard this term called church discipline. Did anybody ever hear that, that phrase before, church discipline? I saw church discipline as a, as a teenager for the first time, and it really was, for, for me, it was, a bad, it, was, it was a bad experience. It was a young lady 
in our youth group that got pregnant at a very, very young age, and she was told by the leaders of the church in order for her things to be right in her life, she needed to get up in front of the whole church and apologize because she got pregnant before she got married. And I'm watching this, and I'm going, first thing, very first thing in my mind, innocent, very young in the Lord, really not super committed as a believer either. First thing in my mind is, where's the guy? We're, you know, that didn't happen by herself, number one. Number two, why, don't, why wouldn't we love her and, and, get, and, and you know, kind of get around her and encourage her instead of humiliating her in front of the whole church, right? And that was, that was a real, I mean, that really became a foundational belief system for me. Even before I studied, uh, went to Bible college at seminary to understand what true forgiveness, what forgiveness and restoration means. Because I don't think it's about church discipline. I think it's about church restoration, right? I don't, I don't read too many times in the Bible where God calls us to punish people in the New Testament, what I read in the New Testament is God wants us to forgive, and God wants us to forgive, and God wants us to forgive so much that we can't even hardly count how many times we're forgiving those people. Not tell them how wrong they are, right? And, we have, and Christians kind of have this thing. This is something we have to be really, really careful of, church. We have this thing, and I think the platform for this mostly happens on Facebook. Like, I don't think you would walk up to somebody, right, and, and just go, adulterer! You know, I don't think that would happen today in our, in our world. But what I do think happens is all these passive-aggressive statements. You know, the world's raising people to do this. Well, I believe this. And if you agree with me, you're going to agree and share. You know? And I just read that and go, wow, that's going to really draw a lot of people to Jesus. Right? And, and, and I think we have to be careful of that when we understand that what, what we talked about in communion, what we're going to talk about today, God sent his son to die so that our relationship can be restored to him. And you know what he tells us to do? Be like Jesus. And our job as believers is not to point out all the wrongs in the world, because there's a bunch of them, right? This one's wrong, this one's wrong, this belief system's wrong, this political, we love, we, it, it's almost like when we talk about politics, it's okay for us to take off our, our shroud of, of Christianity and kindness and love and be super opinionated right, because of the cross, you know, and we forget, it's not your job, to, it's your job to be gracious and loving to people that need Jesus, right, and you say, well, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, yeah, say what, say that Jesus died so that we can be forgiven, we get caught up, we, as the worldwide church, get caught up in a lot of things that just don't matter, and I want to talk to you about some things that really do matter when it comes to your personal relationship with Jesus and I need you to be a little louder on your amens this morning, because huh? I'm already sensing a little pushback, okay? But I'm going to tell you something. There's no opinion. When I share an opinion, I'll say opinion. This is God's word. And this is what the Lord says we ought to do when it comes to our relationships with others. Somebody say amen. Matthew chapter 18. Interestingly enough, Matthew chapter 18 is the chapter of the Bible that talks about a very high level of forgiveness, but it also talks about restoring relationships. So let's look at Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read for you <coughs> verses uh, 15 through, um, down through the rest of the chapter, I think, down through 35, okay? So Matthew chapter 18, verse number 15. Here's, listen to what the inspired word of God says. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. So, so here's what it means. If my friend Jack says something to me that offends me, right? 
You Philly people. Rah, 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 rah. It gets all, I'm glad Villanova lost last night, right? He says ugly, ugly things to me, right? My job isn't in that, in being offended, isn't to say, well, I'm going to set him aside and I'm going to let Kevin know how mad I am at Jack. I'm going to let Laura know how mad I am. I'm going to let Soren know how mad I am at Jack. I'm going to let Brian know how mad I am. No, my, my responsibility, according to the word of God here, is if he said something that's offended me, I'm, I'm supposed to go to him one-on-one and say to him, bro, that was a little rough. You know, that really hurt my feelings. You know, I, I, I just, you know, is there, is there something I did that offended you? Are we good with one another? Do I need to ask for forgiveness? Because I want you to, I want you to know something, man. That was, that, you were digging deep on that, and it kind of cut me to the core. And the, the, the thing is, we are, here's the, here's the thing that's amazing. As believers, we have a responsibility to give other people the, the, the opportunity to make things right with us. Like, I'm not doing that for my benefit. I need to do that for his benefit, Right? So I go to Jack, dude, man, you cut me deep. What's going on here? This, this, and this. And Jack in his West Texas, you know, uh, brogue that he'll share with me, he'll go, Ed, only person I know, him and Tammy, only people that can make a two letter name, two syllables. Ed, I don't agree with you, and I think you're a jerk. Okay, let's continue to read here. Jack thinks Ed's a jerk. Let's see what it says here. If he hears you, if he hears you, and the response is good with one another, the Bible says you've gained a brother. But if he don't want nothing to do with it, if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by mouth, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, then go to the church leaders. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And that's kind of funny that tax collectors just get beat up in the Bible but there's a reason because they were kind of junkyard dogs. So my responsibility to Jack is because I want him to have the opportunity to make things right with me. Is I'm going to go to him and tell him how I feel. Buddy, man, you cut me deep, blah, 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 blah. Well, Ed, I don't want nothing to do with you, you stinking Yankee. So after that, I'm supposed to take two friends. So I'm going to take Jeff and Richard, my buddies. Hey, listen, I, I'm, I'm going to apologize. Try to get things going right with Jack. Biblically, the Bible says take two people. So I'm going to take Richard and I'm going to take Jeff with me. And I'm going to ask these guys to go. Now, if I ask them to go, they're going to ask me to buy me dinner. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that too. So I'm going to take these two guys. I'm going to say, hey, man, I'm going to talk to Jack. I, I don't want you to say anything. I don't want you to have an opinion. I just need you to make sure. Now, listen, the two or three witnesses is not so that they could say, yeah, he was right. Now, the two or three witnesses we take are to make sure that, that we're doing the right thing. That we're not coming at him. That we're doing this to give him the opportunity to make it right. So I take my two buddies. We go talk to Jack. He says, Ed, I don't want nothing to do with none of that noise, right? So the Bible says after that, then I got to go to the church. Say, Pastor, Deacon, Elder, this, I, need, I, need to, I need some church people praying about this. This is a brother. We got to make this thing right. And the Bible says if, if, if you've done it alone, nothing happens. If you've done it with witnesses and nothing happens, and even if you take it before the leadership of the church and nothing happens, you kind of have to wash your hands of the situation because you did this. You gave that person every right or every opportunity to make things right with you. But presentation's a big deal, isn't it? Like if I go to Jack and I'm ticked at him and say, you are a jerk and you've done this and you really hurt me and I come and attack him, well, that's not a spirit of wanting to make things right, is it? And, th and it's funny how we could go to somebody and we could say, well, I did this. I went to them and told them they need to make things right. 
Presentation's a big way, right? It's a big, you know, the way that you present that opportunity is a big thing. The way that you communicate to that person is a very big way about that too. And you know what else is? Your heart in relationship to your walk with Jesus Christ. Communion. I'm going to do that, but I need to make sure my heart's right with God and that I'm not offended at him. So that I go before him, I want to do this because I want to keep that brotherhood. I'm using Jack's name because I love Jack. He's my friend. You know, we share a lot of things in common except for his taste in shoes. He's got some corner kickers on today, and that's a different word than I should be using, but he's got some cowboy boots on that I wouldn't be caught wearing on a cold day in the hot place. But you know what we have in common? We love Jesus, and we love this church, and we love the people of this church, and we're not going to let anything get in the way of all that. Okay? So let's continue to read here. Peter came to him and said, this is ballin'. So it's kind of funny. I'm going to read you kind of three different uh, three different parts of this, but it's all one after the other. God's word is inspired. It's, it's, it's exactly what we need at the right time, right? And when you read this passage, when you read this passage of scripture, if you've read the Bible through it all, you're going to go, oh, I didn't know that was in the same chapter, right? So, so he, he gives this dealing with a sinning brother uh, thing here, and then he goes, Peter says to him in the very next verse in verse 21, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him, right? So Peter gets all puffy and says, seven times? And Jesus says, uh, buddy, I do not say to you up to seven times. How many times? Somebody tell me. Seventy times seven. I'm going to need a mathematician. How much is seventy times seven? Four hundred and ninety times. Now, I believe somewhere in time, somehow, somebody that was a Christian that's OCD it's 491. I'm done, right? I mean, I bet you somebody has done that in, in, in some time in eternity. But listen, listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So we had the first story of restoring a brother. Then Peter says, I'm, I'm going to forgive. How, how many times should I forgive somebody that's offended me? Seven times, thinking it's a lot. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Ah! And then he tells this parable, and it seems like it's a whole different story that we're going to read. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had until the payment was made. The servant, therefore, fell down before the king and said, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. It's a phrase that describes the way Jesus feels about us was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him of his debt. That is exactly what Jesus did when he forgave you of your sins when you became a believer. But back to the story now. This dude owes the king, or this not, not the king, but maybe somebody really mucky-muck and important in their community, 10,000 talents. And let's just say it's a million bucks. And he says, well, by rights, and there's something in our constitution, way back when the do legal documents, I don't know if it's in the constitution, but when the law was established for our nation, uh, one of the things that they did in England that they didn't want to do in our new country was have a debtor's prison. They had a debtor's prison back in the old country before our, our country was established. And that when people were in debt to you, if you didn't pay them, you had a right to go after them. And they would be put in prison for their debt. Now, unfortunately, our, our country's kind of going this way with it. Now, bankruptcy is like an unbelievable thing that happens in our country now, be that as it may. Um, this debtor's prison was real, and this guy had rights to this man, his wife, all that he belonged to himself, 
to throw him in jail, take possession of all that he owned, his wife, his kids, like everything. He fell down before the master. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please, please, please don't ruin my life. I screwed up. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. The master had compassion on him. What did he do? He released him and forgave him of all his debt. But that servant, same dude, right? He comes out debt-free. Debt-free. There's some freedom being debt-free. Somebody say amen to that, right? Debt-free. He's walking on sunshine, like Katrina and the waves would say. He is happy. He's not busted, disgusted, but he still couldn't be trusted, okay? Listen to what it says here in verse 28. That servant went out, found a fellow servant. So he, he owed money to the guy, who, somebody who was above him on the food chain, but he went to somebody who was a fellow servant, right? Somebody his level, who owed him 100 denarii. So if we were to compare that, a million bucks to maybe a thousand bucks. Now, it's not exact, but it's the, it's the principle is what I want to share with you, right? He was just forgiven a million dollars of debt. His buddy owed him a thousand dollars. And it says, he, uh, he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and he begged, have patience with me. I'll pay you everything. And he would not. He went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved. He came and told their master, the dude that he owed a million dollars to, all that he had done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all the debt because you begged me. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? The master was angry, delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And here's the application going back to Peter. So, my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart do not forgive his brother his trespasses. It's like the hard shot. the kill shot. Right? Peter's listening to this story. And this Jesus was a master teacher. You're not going to believe what happened. This dude owed this guy a million bucks. And then he went out and tried to collect a thousand from this other guy. And all the people listening are going, man, that guy's a punk. That guy's a jerk. Well, yeah, and guess what? God forgave you of all your stuff, and if you don't forgive others, you're just like that unfaithful servant. Goom, right? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the word of God is sharp. It's quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword or lightsaber, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. You know what the word of God does for us? It's a mirror that we look into, and sometimes we don't like looking in the mirror, do we? Isn't it much easier to look out and see the faults of others? Oh, Dave Roberts, man. Man, Dave Cochran. Woo, if you only knew Dave Cochran, right? If you only knew Adri Adriano, man. Woo, pray for his wife, right? We can look at all these things about other people and point and point and point and point. But when we look in the mirror, we don't like, we don't like that examination. We don't like it when God reveals things to us through the word of God that we need to make right with him. So in this, in this passage here, in verses 15 through 18, Jesus teaches the path of forgiveness and restoration. In verses 19 and 20, he teaches the power of unity in him. In verses 21 through 35, we learn how serious God is about forgiveness. So let me give you two statements to think about, and I'll read these points to you, because I'm starting to smell some fried chicken we're having for lunch today, okay? Our battle for holiness is hindered if we carry the lingering pain of offense. Dr. John Piper wrote that, and I stole that from him. Our battle for holiness is hindered if we carry the lingering pain of offense. Here's the thing, church. One of the most difficult, I believe this, 
And this is something that I wrote. I had a good thought this week, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. One of the most difficult complexities in our lives, you ready for this, is granting as much forgiveness as we ask for or require. How many of you this week, let's, let's just keep it real. How many of you this week needed to ask God, and I'll put my hand up first, to forgive you of something? Raise your hand up in the air. Now, I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm not saying you robbed a bank. Husbands, I'm not saying you did something, you, you know, you're, you're, what I'm asking you is, if you, God revealed himself to you and said, nope, you need to make that right. And you ask for forgiveness, right? And, and we do that. But it's amazing how, how, much we, how much forgiveness we expect without being as liberal in the way that we dish it out. So here's how stronger people learn how to forgive. Number one, stronger people learn how to forgive by this, giving the offenses we carry to the Lord. God is a righteous judge. God doesn't forget. You know, what some, you know what sometimes we're afraid of? We're afraid that if somebody ticks us off or does something egregious to us that humanly speaking may not be forgivable, that everybody else is going to forget about it. But I want you to understand something. God keeps track of all of it. He keeps track of all of it. And if you think, if you've needed to jump, if you've needed to reach into that pool of forgiveness at a very, very high level, something that... that Maybe other people wouldn't forgive you of something that you definitely don't want other people in our church to know about, but you needed to, you needed to reach in and, and say, God, I need forgiveness. You know what God did for you? He forgave it, tossed it into the sea of forgetfulness, and separated it from you as far as the east is from the west. That's what he wants to do for other people. And we got to learn to be more like him. So give your offenses that you carry to the Lord. This is too much, Lord. You ever say that to the Lord about somebody that's hurt you and you hear a message like this? Lord, I get it. I agree with it, but this one's a little too much. I'm still processing, right? Maybe God, listen to this church, and you're having this conversation or negotiation or you're reaching out to God and saying, they've really hurt me. They've really hurt me. This really sucks. They've really hurt me. But God, but God, but God, and we're having that prayer time with him, right? Maybe, maybe God allowed you to go through that to draw you closer to him because maybe it's the most you've talked to him in a long time. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, don't misunderstand me. That God is telling people to do bad stuff to you because he wants your attention. But what I am saying to you, God does allow some things in his will when we're wandering to get our attention to pull us back to him. Okay? Here's number two. Turn from the pain and look to things that are true, beautiful, lovely, and praiseworthy. Hey, that's a verse. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever, whatever, that's a big, 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 broad statement. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Because here's the thing, church, you're going to see exactly what you're focused on. Do you understand what that means? If you're driving down the road in your car, do you ever notice how many people are texting when they're driving these days? Don't text and drive, please. Good golly, Miss Molly, some of you are going this to your husbands and wives, and my wife's going, mm-hmm, I get it, all right? We, we have to be careful with those things. But man, people are very distracted when they're driving. There's a lot going on. And then you have your Bluetooth, and you could talk and make some phone calls. You got this, and we're busy, and we got this, and we got that, and all these different things. And then you look over, and you see somebody who's doing this while they're driving. They're not even looking at the road. <laughs> Something bad's going to happen there, right? But we get distracted, right? We see things. Did you see that? 
Did you see that billboard? Did you see that car? Did you see that thing? And it's very easy for us to take our eyes off of what we're supposed to be looking at because when we take our eyes off of what we're supposed to be looking at, there's some very destructive things that can happen to us. Spiritually, it's very true. If we don't keep our eyes focused on things that are lovely and just and holy and of good report and are honest and this and this and this, and we get to this place where we are distracted because we think things ought to be more fair to us. I was treated unfairly. Or, why does that person over there, who's a jerk, have so much more better stuff than me? Distracted. Why does that person over there have all this? Distracted. And we get distracted by a lot of things. And God wants to, if our focus is on him, you're going to see what you're focused on. And here's another way to say that's in the book of Proverbs. We're going to live where we dwell. Does that make sense? We live right where we are. You all hear me talk about where I'm from. I'm from Philadelphia. Actually, I'm from West Philadelphia, born and raised on a playground is where I spent most of my days. Anyway, I'm from, I'm from Philadelphia, and I love Philadelphia sports, but I love living in Texas, so I've got this little inner battle all the time that's going on inside of me. Last night, when Villanova played, and they lost to Kansas, I'm like, dang it, they should have won that game. I wanted to go to New Orleans tomorrow night with my brother and watch the Final Four game, right? Which was going to happen, but it ain't happening now, so I'm mad about that. And all that stuff is there, and and and... I had somebody say to me one time, when we first came to church, you need to stop talking about Philadelphia so much because people are going to think that you don't like living here. I do like living here. I like Philadelphia sports. I'm sorry. If that's something that's going to hinder our relationship, bring two other people, talk to me, and I'll make it right with you. Isn't that good application there? Isn't that good application? It's sports. It don't matter. God's not up in heaven saying, my will is that Kansas wins tomorrow night, I hope. But, you know, I don't think that, I think eternity hangs in the balance with a lot more important things than stupid sports. Somebody say amen to that. But don't tell my wife I said that, okay? But we live where we dwell. If we stay in that place where we're mad, guess what? You're going to be mad all the time and miserable. If we stay in that place of offense, guess what? You're, and it's going to hinder your relationship with God. Here's number three. Oh, this is huge. Stop trying to punish your offenders. You ready for this word? When you want to hurt other people by retaliation, you are hurting yourself more. Because here's what we're doing. We're telling God, I don't agree with the way you're handling this. And I know you're, and we could be spiritual about it too. God, I mean, we got the war over on the other side of the world. We got the craziness in the White House and in our country. This, listen, I, I got it. I'm your bro. We're bi you're busy. So I'm going to take care of this myself because you forgot. And I'm going to dish out the appropriate sentence or the appropriate response because I don't, this is what we're saying, because I don't agree with what you're doing. That's harsh. Stop trying to punish your offense because here's the truth. When you are hurting and you want to retaliate, the only person that gets hurt is you. Stop trying to punish your offenders. Number four, and this is what we talked about earlier when we take witnesses to somebody else. Work for the good of the ones that you need to forgive. You say, what? There's some things in the Bible that, that just don't make sense. You ever read something in the Bible? It's just, and I'm not saying it's inconsistent or it's not accurate. You read it and you go, Lord, I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. If you want to read some stuff that you might not agree with, go back to the Beatitudes 
the Sermon on the Mount, and all that whole passage of Scripture. And Jesus makes a couple statements that are pretty harsh and are really hard to understand. He says at one point, if somebody comes up to you and Will Smith's you, I've been waiting all week to say that. And I'm like, hey, listen, I'm like, and I didn't, I didn't forward this. I'm like those people on Facebook, like some people on Facebook. I didn't even know the Oscars happened last week until the next day. Right? I was watching something good, like a basketball game for the Lord, right? I wasn't watching that Oscar stuff, right? And I'm watching this, and somebody sends me, I think it was Johnny, sends me the recording of it from Japanese TV, so you can hear all the kind words that were said, right? So that Jesus says this, if somebody comes up and Will Smith's you, whack! Do this, turn your other cheek and let him hit the other side. What? And this is harsh. So he says that, and people are like, well, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy, as most of you know. And it would take a pretty big, pretty big blow, like, to really knock me down and hurt me. Like, if you punched me, like, in this area, probably knock my wind out. But you're, just gonna, you're probably going to lose your hand in my belly button cave. It's just that's what's going to happen, okay? If you try to hit me on the back. But I'm going to tell you something. I have a trigger. Does anybody else have a trigger point of, of getting hit or getting hurt by? If I get hit in the head, that's like I have to be very, very careful. I had somebody jump me a few years ago and take a beer bottle and smash it over my face. I had a big, I had a big cut in my eyebrow. And I'm so glad it was in my eyebrow because God preserved my beautiful face. But hit, and I'm going to tell you, I had like an out-of-body experience. I'm like, and I, I thought I was like being like, you know, a UM, like a UFC fighter with all these great moves. And when I, when I saw the video of it, I was like this, you know, kind of reacting like that. I don't like getting in the head. So I'm reading that passage and I'm going, Lord, is that really going to happen? I mean, come on. And then he goes like next level with it. He says, if you're walking down the road, and this was a Roman law, if you're walking down the road, right, and one of the oppressive, wrong, blah, 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 Roman soldiers comes up to you, you were required by law, if they stopped you at a mile marker, you were required by law to take all of their gear, 70 to 100 pounds of it, and walk with him for a mile. So he could, he could stop you in the middle of your day, ladies. Men, he could stop you in the middle of the day and said, you're carrying my stuff from 1.1 to 2.1. You'd have to gather it all up, figure a way to do it, carry it for a mile. And what most people would do is this, at the mile marker. Boom! Probably turn away and go, Pah! right? And kind of passive-aggressively react. Jesus says, if a Roman guy asks you to do that, don't carry it one mile. Carry it two. What? Like, Jesus says some things in the Bible that just don't make sense to us. Forgiveness sometimes doesn't make sense to us. But he wants us to work for the good of others that we need to forgive. Because here's the thing. In Matthew chapter 5, and verse number 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Here's the last thing, and I'm done. God sees when you're hurting. You're not forgotten. We feel forgotten sometimes. Sometimes when our flesh is really weak and we see the way that other people are getting blessed and other people have things going on good in their life and it just feels like it's like boom, boom, boom. We have a couple sweet girls that work in our daycare and their sweet mama. And they've just had a rough month. They had a loved one pass away. 
Their little doggy had some seizures. Those stupid dogs, man, they just rip our hearts out, don't they? Had some seizures. It's just been a tough couple of weeks. And I, and I said, I was talking to him this morning before church. And she said, when the storms are over, right? When the storms are over, the plants grow and the sunshine comes up and you see the goodness of God. And we all go through stuff. And when we're trying to look out and, and trying to negotiate what's fair because we're trying to be God, just remember this. God sees your hurt. He sees who hurt us. But he sees you. He cares that you hurt. He cares that your little sweetie girl has had some health concerns. And another dumb dog, those stupid dogs, ran away distracted you guys, but then the dog came home. And then you went, probably kicked the dog right when he got back home. But he sees that. And the thing is, God just doesn't see the hurt we carry like when a loved one's dying of cancer or we're going through something catastrophic. God sees everything that's going on in your life. And here's what he says. Take all your cares. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for us. He knows. But here's what we have to do, church. Two things. We need to trust him. We need to trust him. And I'm going to tell you something, because what the word of God says, and I hope with the relationship that you have in him, you know that he's trustworthy. We're the ones that aren't. Aren't we the ones that fail sometimes? Right? Psalm 130, verse number three says, if you, Lord, keep a record of sins, who could even be alive today? If he takes your sins and casts them in the sea of forgetfulness, separates them from you as far as the east is from the west... We love that. We have a hard time doing it. Because we kind of still carry that offense. Yeah, I forgave him. But he's still a jerk. That's not forgiveness. Yeah, I forgave him. Now listen, forgiveness and trust is two different things. Don't misunderstand me. Trust has to be earned. Forgiveness has to be given liberally. God requires that of us. And here's the great thing about the Lord that you'll read over and over and over and over and over again in Scripture. If you read the story in the, in the Old Testament where God told Abraham, you take your son up to Mount Moriah, the son that you've been waiting for for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and I want you to sacrifice him there for me. And Abraham obeyed, and the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 or 11, it was counted unto him for righteousness. The faith of Abraham is mentioned all throughout the New Testament as well. And Abraham took his son, and his son says, well, God, uh, well, Dad, we got the sticks, we got the fire starter, we got the stones, we got the donkey. Where's the sacrifice? And what did he say to his son? God will provide. If you read in the book of Hebrews, it says this. Abraham believed that God was going to resurrect his son from the dead. He bound his son up, took a knife, and the Bible says the angel of the Lord did what? Stopped him. And you read that story, and you go, I don't have that kind of faith. I'm, I'm, I'm down. I get it. I, I totally do. That's crazy, crazy faith to me. But you know what's beautiful about that story? Not just about Abraham and God providing the sacrifice. And we read that in Jehovah Jireh. It's an inspiring story. God didn't ask Abraham to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. And he did. He took his son and paid for your sins and my sins and allowed him to suffer and die so that we can be restored to God. That's why he wants you to, if you're focused on God, it's much easier to forgive. If you're focused on the hurt, you're going to stay right there. Stronger people learn how to forgive. 
Let's have a little gun show this week and be strong for him. Amen, church? Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Even when it hurts to read it, even when it hurts to hear it, even when it's hard to understand, I thank you for your word. Help us to live by it, to apply it. Lord, even as we talked about during communion time, Lord, if you're revealing things to us in our life right now about an offense we need to make right or somebody we need to forgive or whatever it is, Lord, I please, 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 Father, give us the strength and the courage to take those steps of obedience for you, for your glory this week. And we'll thank you for it. Um, God, you're so good to us and you don't require things of us that you haven't done a million, 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 gazillion times over. But we're human. It's harder for us. So, so Lord, forgive me when I focus on the hurt. Forgive me when I focus on the offenses and help me and help every man and every woman in this room focus on the one who told us to do this, who gave it to us so liberally. We love you and we thank you. And we ask you to bless not only the words that were said today that would speak to our hearts and make us to take a step to be more like you. Bless what we're about to do um, as we have some fun together, Lord, but raise some money to send sweet, awesome, amazing, talented, potential-filled teenagers to youth camp so they can hear about our Lord Jesus. We love you and thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Come on up, Nick. Tell us.